Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. My name is Jeff Simpson. And my name is Cole Wissinger. And we are here each and every week to give you the very best in entertainment. A lot of other shows like to talk about all the gossip and all the bad stuff that's going on in Hollywood. We like to focus on the good. Isn't that right, Cole? There's plenty of it to talk about each week, and we try to start with the best news of the week. And there is some good news this week, Cole. I don't know if you heard some of this, but uh, I'm so excited for a first look that we got online. They're showing a lot of first looks, right? We got to see Robert Pattinson recently in his Batman cape and cowl. Right, yeah. (laughs) It's a much more militaristic Batman than we've seen before. Right, so we're getting lots of first looks. So you're familiar with the trailer, but then there's the teaser trailer. Yes, yes. But then there's also the first look. The first look is really just a taste. It, It, there's... You don't get like a full scene or it's just a shot of something. You or maybe... know what it is, though? It's something that can trend on Twitter and get people talking about your movie. Absolutely. And people are certainly talking about Stranger Things Season 4 because, spoiler alert, at the end of Season 3, we were devastated to find out that Hopper, the best character on the show. Debatably. Uh, not really. I mean, he is cool. Come on. The kids care. Go, 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 go ahead. <laughs> he dies. By all <gasps> appearances, it looks like he dies, right? He does. But they're not going to kill off their best character, which is not debatable. Um, and in the first look for Stranger Things Season 4, they let us know right off the bat we can breathe some fresh air because you see Hopper digging and working on this railroad somewhere in Russia, it looks like. Right, Cole? Are you sure you weren't watching the Black Widow trailer where, with a Russian accent, David Harbour was talking to people? Well, if I was, then somebody owes me an explanation because they played that very same music that you just (laughs) did. Super excited. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait for that to come out. We love Stranger Things. We also got – I don't even know if this is a teaser or a full-length trailer – But these streaming services are notorious for, with the exception of Netflix, I guess, they're notorious for giving you a first look or a teaser trailer only a couple weeks before something is about to come out. So it's difficult to really gain a lot of or get a lot of buzz surrounding these shows because they don't give us enough time to be excited about them. Those are sometimes the ones that that they're afraid that the hype and the news will be bad, and so they kind of wait, and then they just surprise you with it. Okay. Well, I was surprised to see a trailer for Amazing Stories on Apple TV+. If you're not familiar with Amazing Stories, they were these comic books way, 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 way back in the day. Steven Spielberg made a version of Amazing Stories for television. It ran for a couple of series back in the 80s, and uh, it was an Emmy award-winning series. Kind of like a a Twilight Zone or a Black Mirror, if you will, skewed more toward the Twilight Zone. Not so much horror, uh, more surrounding like the supernatural and really the amazing, right? Sure. So this is a series that people didn't know that needed to be rebooted, but I feel like it does. Crossing my fingers, hoping that this will be one of the few offerings on Apple TV Plus that will actually be appropriate for families. Because <laughs> yeah. there haven't there hasn't been much 
in the way of offerings in general on Apple TV Plus, but certainly really nothing for families other than a couple of shows here and there. Keep crossing those fingers. We got one of those like second, third, or fourth looks. We got a set photo trending uh, from Bill and Ted Face the Music this week. And I got a little bit more information about a sequel that I'm very excited about. Now, we all know (laughs) that a couple weeks ago, Parasite, nominated from South Korea, South Korea, now an Oscar award-winning country and Bong Joon-ho, a three-time sort of, really four-time Oscar award-winning fellow. Another movie from South Korea that is quite possibly my favorite international film I have ever seen, Train to Busan, has officially picked up international theatrical releases. It will likely debut at Cannes, just like the, the film festival in May in France. But after that, it will be in theaters in America, the sequel to Train to Busan, Really? The Peninsula is what it's called. The Peninsula. Okay. So where Train can to we... Busan probably colon Peninsula. I, I feel like Train to Busan can be streamed right now on Netflix. It has been on Netflix in the past. I will double check as you tell me uh, another piece of news. Well, here's my piece of news. First of all, talking about Bill and Ted's. So we're getting more than just a first look with pictures of Bill and Ted face the music because... Walmart has a campaign with Alex Winter, who plays Bill, Bill S. Preston. Bill S. Preston. So As good opposed for to him. Theodore Logan. He's somebody that uh, has been around for a while. He started out in a sketch comedy group, and he's he shows up every once in a while here and there uh, in unexpected roles and sometimes even in the director's chair. So I, th- I think that's mainly by choice. But certainly has not been as prominent as Keanu Reeves, right? I'm not sure if anyone over the past <laughs> 20 years oh has been goodness. as prominent Oh, my goodness. In the last couple Keanu of years Reeves. alone, we're experiencing the uh, Keanuzance, as it is called. Also, Train to Busan confirmed on Netflix for your yes! streaming pleasure right now. It oh, is subtitled, suck it up, watch it, great zombie movie. But it's And it's really, I mean, if you had to give it a rating, because some of these international films don't have an actual rating, if you had to give it a rating, I've heard that it's basically PG-13. PG-13-ish. Like, it's a Dang. little heavier on the, it's a zombie action movie, and so it's a little sure. heavier on the violence and blood than maybe American PG-13 gets away with. Okay. So if that's where your sensitivity lies... Um, maybe shy away for a second, but it's got no sexual content or language or any of the other things that can uh, prompt a harsher rating. One more thing that I'm so excited about. Okay. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Cole, for a lot of people, Sunday means sports. They've got their football games, their basketball games, even their baseball games from time to time. But for me, the reason Sunday, Sunday, Sunday is going to be a big deal is because we are going to see the premiere of season five of my favorite show on television right now, and it is Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul. Oh, I love it, Cole. You have I love not, the announcer voice. You have not gotten, you've not uh, punched your ticket for the Better Call Saul train ride, and I'm, I keep telling you that you've got to, Cole. You've got to. Another show that's on Netflix when I get around to it. Okay, just know that... If you're looking for a less violent and less drug-centric version of Breaking Bad, this is your ticket. Better Call Saul Season 5 will start this Sunday with another episode Monday, and then it'll be weekly on Monday from there. So, so excited. Yes. 
But, and as we transition now to the new releases of this week, I want to put one last word on last week where Sonic the Hedgehog surprised folks. When we were talking last week, we reviewed Sonic, said it was good. I think I was a little bit more favorable than you, Jeffrey. <laughs> but the people supported me because Sonic the Hedgehog did gangbusters at the box office. I think we may have thrown around the term best video game adaptation of all time, which is a low bar to try to hop over. (laughs) But it has done it, and it is doing it at the box office as well. When you compare it to Detective Pikachu, which is a similar concept where a CGI critter kind of gets a buddy and they go on antics. Sonic aimed a little bit younger and aimed a little bit more family and had a holiday weekend to help it out. It is doing much better than Pokemon Detective Pikachu did at the box office. It's set up for a sustained box office run. This seems to be the family movie of the early 2020. Go out and check out Sonic, as well as maybe a couple other new releases this week. Hmm. Now, Cole, I love that you you highlighted Sonic the Hedgehog as the family option, right? Because it's I didn't see anything objectionable in that movie, really. Any no, of they, the, they and, geared it for the oh, yeah. kid kids, maybe at the detriment to some of the adults in the room. Any of the violence, though, is just so cartoony and cannot be taken seriously at all. Nobody's ever really in peril. There's no blood. So I call cartoony violence in live action the Jim Carrey effect. Um, <laughs> very nice. There is another family film out this weekend, and uh, you might need to approach it with a little more caution than you certainly would Sonic the Hedgehog. Cole, I was so excited to see the trailer for this movie or to even know that it existed because, as you know, Disney Plus has been out for a while. And so people of my generation have been enjoying on a Friday night going back and trying to introduce some of these favorites with people of a younger generation, right? My right, kids. Right. So there are certainly movies on there that my kids have enjoyed. They've they really liked Cool Runnings. We've shown them um White Fang. I can't tell if they really enjoyed White Fang because they just spent the whole movie crawling around on all fours pretending to be dogs. So maybe <laughs> they did. You know, there's Iron Will. So there are there's a similar movie out this weekend that is reminiscent of some of those older Disney movies. And so It's the perfect time for kids that were my age at the time these other Disney movies came out to go see a movie like The Call of the Wild. So imagine how excited I was when I found out there was another one of these Disney movies coming out that helped me, you know, remember my childhood so fondly. And to boot, has Harrison Ford in the starring role. So again, you have another one of these Jack London novels uh, being adapted for the screen. And the the trailer's going along and you're getting excited because, oh my goodness, Harrison Ford as this grizzled mountain man type of a guy. I can just feel you setting me up for a butt, though. Why? Why would you say that, Cole? Because you're leading in. You're like, this seems like it should be such a thing that should resonate with you. Hmm. But. Okay. Let me just say this first, Cole. Harrison Ford is fantastic in this movie. He's kind of establishing this uh, grizzled old man, um, you know, use this voice with a lot of gravitas. And And uh, gravel. Yeah, he is doing fantastically well. This this role seems tailor-made for him, I should say. But. But. 
One thing that those older Disney movies did so well was that they used practical effects. They used actual animals. This movie, not so much. It is very, very heavy on the CGI coal. So not for a second will you think, oh, that's a real dog. Or you'll never do a double take and, and think, wow, these dogs look real because they're so obviously fake. And I feel like this is a film, there's a beautiful film here, Cole, that is just aching to burst out of this CGI shell Mm -hmm. that unfortunately it just can't shed because of that. Harrison Ford, genius casting choice, no question about that. Then inexplicably, halfway through the movie, it feels like there's this villain that is just tacked on to the movie. And he's this very cartoony, you know, villainous mustache-wearing Dan Stevens, who is no stranger <laughs> to Disney movies. And we should let it be known that this is not a straight Walt Disney Pictures movie. This is a 20th Century Films movie, no longer a 20th ah, Century Fox movie. See, I noticed I was going to mention that at the beginning of my movie as well, but continue. Right. So he's very much this... Oh, he's very much this cartoon villain that he would seem very at home in like a Rocky and Bullwinkle or like a Scooby-Doo. <laughs> wow, yeah, see, I would have gotten away with it too. Yeah, yeah. This seemed like a much more serious like Call of the Wild, like man and his right. dog until, against the world Until movie. Dan Stevens shows up. Interesting. And all of a sudden the CGI dogs are not as much of a problem. Yeah. <laughs> And so Dan Stevens kind of represents the thorn in your side uh, in this movie. And interestingly enough, Karen Gillan, who has several franchises under her belt, the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise, the Jumanji franchise. Doctor Who on television as well. Right. She shows up as Dan Stevens' wife. She's kind of the comic relief. And there's a moment where you don't realize whether Dan Stevens is the comic relief or if he's just going to be the thorn on the side. Yeah, he's the thorn on the side. And uh, really, this movie, I feel like, and again, I have not read the book. Let me be clear on that. So these characters probably are in the book. And uh, the ending is probably similar to the ending of the book. But yeah, there's, if I had to sum it up, Cole, there's a beautiful movie just aching to burst out of this CGI shell. And uh, if nothing else, you've got Harrison Ford, who gives one of his better performances, I'm convinced. So that's Call of the Wild, and it is PG. There are a couple of moments where you need to be worried about uh, your kids. There was a moment where a couple of dogs are fighting, and my 8-year-old daughter covered her eyes and said, Dad, tell me when it's over. So just, just beware of that. So you watched something, 20th Century Films, a division of the Walt Disney Company. Uh, I saw my very first Searchlight Films movie over Without the weekend. Without Fox Searchlight, also right? Also Sans Fox, uh-huh. used to be Fox Searchlight. Eight years ago, uh, going into Sundance Film Festival, a small budget – uh, passion project burst forth kind of as a front runner ended up getting a lot of awards consideration for Ben Zeitlin called Beasts of the Southern Wild. Oh and yeah. Now he has finally made his second movie 8 years later also debuted at Sundance earlier this year and will be in theaters uh, probably a limited release schedule and then going broader but starting next week called Wendy. 
Hmm. If you go into this, as I did for most of the time I was aware that it existed, just um, blindly and uh, sadly writing it off as yet another Peter Pan movie. Oh, I was thinking maybe like documentary of Wendy's or the, you know. So it turns out if you Google Wendy right now. Wendy's is actually the most common. You have to put <laughs> Wendy movie to find out anything sure. about it. But it is it, 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 it that does it a disservice because it is much more akin to the vibe of Beasts of the Southern Wild than anything you're going to get from any of the other Peter Pan adaptations that we've got before, and there are plenty. So going into this, you have to understand that it's it's more of an indie fair. It's a festival kind of a movie. But it's fun, and it does look like a, a filmmaker that takes his craft seriously, just getting something out that's been on his mind for a long time. Watching Beasts of the Southern Wild, you can see that he has a passion for the stories and, and the imaginations of kids, and that gets to be at the front of the whole movie, Wendy. Interesting. Because, I mean, when you think of the Peter Pan story, it's kids not wanting to grow up and what this movie has going for it certainly is just a spirit of fun on set he he famously does not cast professional child actors he goes to where he's filming and he tries to get first time kids and, that's cool and he describes the the feel on set as more of a, a park than you know a, a cynical kind of Hollywood because even even child actors can get kind of that ego to them some directors will describe that's why he goes after non-actors and it can be a little tougher for him and sometimes the acting can be a little less polished when you're watching it but that fun that they were obviously having on set comes out and it has to if you're doing a Peter Pan movie if you're doing a movie about childlike innocence that's something you want to capture and he did hmm. but it's not a perfect movie for everyone right Beasts of the Southern Wild if you haven't seen it before I described it as being just a little too indie for my tastes right okay. there's this sliding scale where on one side it's it's Terrence Malick and almost unwatchable just kind of art on film for me and then on the other side of the scale there's the Avengers movies that anyone can watch and enjoy um, and somewhere along that scale everyone has their personal line that they have to draw right for some it's Wes Anderson that's a little too indie or it's just right for me it's Beasts of the Southern Wild and now Wendy also right there's just not enough plot to kind of carry me through there's just not quite enough character growth or development, not quite enough cohesion in what he's doing for me to really appreciate and, and to truly, truly enjoy. But let me be clear, it's a very good movie. And if that was your style, if, if you like that Beast of Southern Wild or a little bit more artsy, more, more that flair, then you can certainly enjoy Wendy. Please tell me that you snuck in like a Dave single or a Frosty or even a little cup of chili when you saw this movie. I did not. And Darn. to also <laughs> emphasize the fact that it's it's not going to get a lot of buzz. It's not – even if it tried to benefit from the Peter Pan adaptation side of it, there were only four of us in a theater, uh, all critics. Really? Four? Where normally even some of the like – lesser movies that we go to see early have are just full of people you know three rows of critics all writing their stuff uh, there were four total people that cared to see wendy in the middle of the day on a weekday and i i just feel like that's going to be what it ends up being you know those that will love it are going to attach to it and really enjoy it but it's, it's not a movie for everyone it's not just peter pan go take your kids there's plenty of kid-like fun but it's not going to have enough to keep them in the seats. You know what happened? I think all those critics grew up. 
They forgot what oh. it was like to be a kid. You just have to believe. Right. Clap. Clap if you believe, Jeffrey. I believe. Yes. There were plenty, and it really was like a Peter Pan story. It was fun seeing this guy, like, take Peter Pan and adapt it into just, you know, an impoverished South vibe uh, similar to his other movies sure. as well. I believe, Cole, and I also believe I'm going to be going to Wendy's for lunch today. Yeah, it, you did get me hungry talking about Dave's. <laughs> Baconator is normally my go-to. Well, there, it's no coincidence that we're talking about Peter Pan, a role that has been on screen and uh, whether it's on TV or on film, for many, 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 many years, ever since the uh, Mr. Barry's book came out. And when we return, we are actually going to be talking about some of the other uh, most portrayed roles on TV and film. And that's coming up next here on Screen Cleaning. Adventure of a Lifetime. Now that's the version of Peter Pan that most people are familiar with, right? We just got talking about, you know, Wendy, which is a new iteration. It's a brand new Peter Pan story. And I very clearly did not say anything about the 2015 Pan that we also got, or any of the other editions of Peter Pan that have been there through the years, because he's just one of the classic characters of literature that have been adapted from time to time to time. To right. Time. So we want to spend some time talking about some of the most portrayed characters in TV and film, both the fictional and the real ones, right? But speaking of Peter Pan, I mean, yeah, you could have mentioned Robin Williams in the Steven Spielberg-directed film Hook. Hook. Uh, looky, looky, I got hooky. Um, I, one that I want to mention, Cole, is actually a female portrayal of Peter Pan. Okay. And this is from the film Finding Neverland. This is the story that was nominated for Best Picture back in 2004. Johnny Depp was nominated for Best Actor. The only reason I know Barry's name that you mentioned going out, uh, before our last segment ended is because of this film. He's the man that wrote the book. Right, right. And uh, this is the story, yeah, of him coming up with Peter Pan. Johnny Depp plays James Barry, and he spends a lot of time with this family that is really the influence for Peter Pan. And I love, I don't know how true this was, but I love that when they were putting on the show Peter Pan in this film, Finding Neverland, they purposely filled it with a bunch of kids so that usually it's the adults that are informing the tone or setting the tone for an evening. You know, like if you watch a movie with kids and the adults are laughing, usually the kids are laughing. Yeah. It's kind of the opposite of that in yeah. this, right, where they filled it with kids so that the kids could set the tone for the production, right? And Again, going with the theme of, you know, childlike innocence and, and holding on to your childhood for a long time that Peter Pan elicits. Yeah, right. And there's a scene later on in the film, um, Kate Winslet is the mom of this family, and she's not feeling so well. And um, Johnny Depp has all these actors put on a little production, and the the woman who plays uh, Peter Pan in this little, you know, production that's meant just for this family is Kelly MacDonald. Do you know that name, Cole? Kelly MacDonald. I don't think so. She is Princess Merida. In Brave, oh. Disney Pixar's Brave. 
So she's certainly been around for a while. She was in uh, No Country for Old Men. But I thought she was fantastic as Peter Pan. Do you have a favorite Peter Pan, Cole? It definitely goes back to the Disney one for me because that's oh, the yeah. one that I grew up and was most familiar with. And that is on Disney Plus that you can go back and revisit your childhood anytime you want. Yes, that's exciting. Now, who are some – if I had to ask you, Cole, who are the most portrayed characters in TV and film? Peter Pan is not one of them. But we found some lists online that suggested that these characters have been in – they've been portrayed on TV and film hundreds, hundreds of times. And a lot of them have something similar with Peter Pan, and that's that they were based on books that were written by Englishmen in the 1800s that are now in the public domain. And so the reason there's so many dang movies about these classic quote-unquote characters is just because anyone can, right? Yes, exactly. So think of somebody in the public domain. Who would you think is one of the most portrayed t- or characters on TV and film? Sherlock Holmes. We had a little renaissance of it Sherlock just a couple Holmes. years ago when there were when there were Sherlock Holmes movies, and then we got a Benedict Cumberbatch like BBC slash whoever makes those really like high quality Sherlock Holmes ones. Then there was the TV show Elementary, and they all kind of launched within the same two year window, and all of a sudden everyone had Sherlock Holmes fever again. But he's been on film for a while, right? And so how do you choose which one is your favorite when there have been so many actors that have put on that double-billed cap and taken on that role? Grabbed the the spyglass and had a a pipe, maybe a violin in hand. Yeah. You know, the one that comes to mind for me, it's so delightful, and again, another one that you can find on Disney+, Plus is not actually Sherlock Holmes. But it is a Sherlock Holmes role of sorts, right? In fact, this is a character that lives uh, just below the actual Sherlock Holmes. And it is the 1986 animated classic, in my opinion, The Great Mouse Detective. And the character is uh, Basil. Basil of Baker Street. Basil of Baker Street. Named after, of course, Basil Rathbone, a man that has played Sherlock Holmes many a time, including... This very movie. <laughs> yes, he has a cameo in this film because, as we said, he lives upstairs of Basil of Baker Street. And Barry Ingham is the actor that portrayed Basil of Baker Street. This is a great adaptation, or I don't know if it, it I couldn't say adaptation. This is a great version of a Sherlock Holmes type of a story, right? One of the better Disney villains, in my opinion, uh, Vincent Price as Professor not Moriarty, but no. Professor Ratigan, who does not like being called a rat. But uh, yeah, it's just this uh, this wonderful, beautiful short story about this little girl whose father was kidnapped in order to make this robot queen that could then crown Professor Ratigan as the new supreme leader of all uh, mousedom, as he calls it, right. even though he's a rat. Um and uh, it's just delightful and really quite thrilling and exciting. This is one of the earlier films to implement some of the uh, computer animation that we got in that started creeping up in Disney movies. And it really has a cliffhanger ending that has you kind of biting your nails all the way to the end. And what a joy it is to watch this film. Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law's 
Sherlock and Watson are definitely for my generation kind of the go-to imagination. And I think that has a so lot to fun. do with the direction that they took. It's more of an action cool Sherlock right, Holmes. Yeah. But honestly growing up the Sherlock that I associated with was when in television on the television show Star Trek the Next Generation what? Data the robot would often go to the holodeck and relive Sherlock Holmes mysteries. What? And this would be a recurring theme because Sherlock was kind of a cold and feeling, you know, very analytical and this is the way it is kind of character. They allowed Data the robot of the show to step into that role often for these little holodeck stories that they would have with Jordy often being his Watson. There was even one that I specifically remember where they program a Moriarty, a true foe that could match Data, and then he ends up being too smart for its own good because the computer created someone that really could match up against a robot. And yeah, so that, that, that's the Sherlock that I kind of grew up with. Uh, my first introduction to the character was on Star Trek The Next Generation before he was like action cool or Benedict Cumberbatch, like Benedict Cumberbatching around on BBC. <laughs> there's, there's been many, many Sherlock Holmes, but that's the one that I thought of. Elementary Dear Data is an episode in season two that that's came out in 1988. Yeah, Next Generation was out uh, around for a while. Wow. Okay. So Sherlock Holmes is certainly one. You mentioned others that are in the public domain. Dracula is another one that comes to mind. And this is another one that isn't like a straight adaptation uh, or a straight uh, version of Dracula because it was actually an unauthorized version of Dracula. And uh, Max Schreck is the actor who portrayed, in this case, Nosferatu in... uh, in Nosferatu. <laughs> yeah, the titular and, character. Right. If you watch the movie, it is the same plot as Dracula. And because it was an unauthorized adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula, the courts ordered it to be destroyed. They, they had to destroy all the copies of it. But anytime something is, dis- is ordered, the destruction of something is ordered – it Just never happens, makes right? Makes it all the more enticing. Right. And so there were some copies that started surfacing over the years, and now we can enjoy it in all its black and white goodness. And I got to admit, Max Schreck as basically Dracula is creepy. He is a creepy guy. And uh, well, what about you, Cole? Do you I'm, have a favorite Dracula? I'm so happy you went for the classic and not just any of the... You know, Not like Leslie Ad- Nielsen in Dracula Dead and Loving It. Or Adam Sandler <laughs> as Drac in yeah, the Three Hotel yeah. Transylvania movies. Oh. No, Dracula is kind of, when you look at horror, Dracula is where it starts uh, in, in the pages of books and then on the screen as well. Frankenstein's another that I thought would have more interpretations than it ended up doing when we were doing research, seeing how many times these characters crop up. Yeah. But really for me, Dracula was perfected once he got color in the Hammer Horrors. Oh. And that's when Christopher Lee took over the mantle. Now, Peter Cushing... Uh, was also a Sherlock Holmes for a time, and he is paired with Christopher Lee and I think every single Hammer horror that we get, <laughs> including uh, Dracula. But Lee is playing the the titular, the horror of oh, Dracula. He, I could see him doing a great job in that role. Absolutely wonderful. And this is where we get a lot of the, the modern Dracula tropes that weren't in the original source material, the, the aversion to sunlight when he pulls back the blinds at the very end and he turns to dust and all that is left, it, it gives you one 
one remaining shot on just the ring of the House of Dracula on the mm. ground amongst this dust as it kind of blows away and the credits start to go on top. One of the iconic moments of, of original horror. Man, I feel like there are so many movies that I need to go watch this weekend. You mentioned Train to Busan. You mentioned Christopher Lee's Dracula movies. Yeah, holy cow. Well, there are certainly plenty of Santa movies that I've never seen. Santa <laughs> is another one Halloween on the list. into Christmas. Let's right. go. So Santa has been portrayed by so many different actors on television and film. And uh, one of my favorites is a man named Jeff Gillen, who's no longer with us. Jeff Gillen who didn't make a ton of movies, but his portrayal of Santa Claus in the film A Christmas Story is unforgettable. Unforgettable, Cole. This, it, it, to my mind, it was this first I idea. because it it's just on 24-7. Oh, yeah. It's one of the, one of the uh, earlier portrayals we have of Santa Claus as maybe not the nicest guy, right? Now, to be fair, he's clearly not actually Santa Claus. He is this mall Santa who just can't wait for his shift to end. And he and his elves are not the nicest people to these poor kids that are trying to come and and pour out their hearts to Santa Claus. And he utters, of course, the infamous line, you'll shoot your eye out, kid, when Ralphie utters that he wants a Red Rider BB gun. With a compass in the stock. And, a... and this thing which tells time. Gotcha. Yeah. So enjoyable. How about you, Cole? So, I mean, yeah, that was the first bad – before Billy Bob Thornton was bad <laughs> Santa, you really keyed on the bad Santa. I prefer my Santa to, you know, embody Christmas a little bit more. Okay. The more recent one that we got was Klaus, of course, that we've talked oh, about a few times on you've Netflix. You've got to check that movie out. Beautiful. And the Santa – so it's more about Santa's helper in a way, the little mailman sure. going on yeah. his journey. But they they managed to illustrate Santa as such a larger-than-life yet kind and gentle figure. I think that the animation really did it a credit there. Um I'm a big fan of the Hallmark Christmas movies, as we've said before. So I have to mention Steve Gutenberg when he was was he Santa when he was a oh my Santa. Goodness. He has my favorite ho ho ho. Often, if you try to make that realistic, no one actually laughs like that. So it's weird. I love Steve Gutenberg. Actually, like it seems like that's how he would laugh when he says mm. ho ho ho. It's a, it's a good laugh, but but really, Tim Allen is my ah. Santa Claus from the movie Santa Claus with an E at the end and then yes. Santa Claus 2 and Santa Claus 3 as well. All right. Well, these certainly are not on the most portrayed character list, but they have often been portrayed, so we wanted to mention them because some of them are even pretty close. Robin Hood was another one that we came up with. I really like Carrie Elwes in this role, especially when he pokes fun at... Uh, at Kevin Costner's portrayal of Robin Hood and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. This one is called Robin Hood Men in Tights. So you know right off the bat, this is not a movie to be taken seriously. It is directed also Mel by Mel Brooks. <laughs> yeah. So that one is certainly one of my favorite, it's, although I am a huge fan of the Disney version too. Yeah, the little fox is probably my favorite, or even Errol Flynn as Robin Hood in, yeah. in the original Robin Hoods. I think you were the one that went to see the new Robin Hood with, is it Taron Edgerton that's in that? Or, yes. Or is it... Is it him? That one certainly caters to the uh, action fans and the let's put some really 
good-looking people in this movie. Jamie Foxx's Little Batman John. Batman meets Robin Hood and a tale for the ages. Basically, yeah. <laughs> not, yeah. A, not a fan of that one? Um, not so much. Weird. Yeah. Um, what about the Grim Reaper, Cole? <laughs> the Grim Reaper is one that shows up quite a bit, too. I love all these characters. Yeah, we mentioned Bill and Ted earlier in the show. There's going to be a third Bill and Ted, and... William Sadler as the Grim Reaper is returning for this one as well. Yes. He first put on that dark cape and hood and uh, portrayed death in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Brandishing a, a large scythe. And boy, was he funny in this role. He seems very uh, foreboding and grim as a Grim Reaper would uh-huh. be, right? And he tells Bill and Ted, after they've died, that they can return to Earth if they can beat him in a contest. And he has he says that nobody has ever won. And then cut to them playing Twister and all these other really ridiculous games. Battleship. And they, con- they continue to wipe the floor with him. It makes for some really funny content in a movie that I actually enjoy more than the original Bill and Ted's for mainly for the reason that William Sadler is portraying death in such a funny way. And I'm so excited that he's going to be in this next movie. It's really fascinating that your your past few picks have all been not the traditional. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Pick. I have a, a non-traditional Grim Reaper as well because I really can't remember the last time that someone took the Grim Reaper seriously, possibly in Supernatural, right? They didn't have the hood yeah, and cape, yeah. but there are Reapers in that show that perform the same function of ushering people over to the afterlife. But another television show that I think does it hilariously is Family Guy, when Peter <laughs> very often encounters death in that show and his little death family or his death dog. Uh, Seth MacFarlane, of course, never takes anything too seriously, death included. Okay. Well, how about King Arthur? King Arthur is one that, for me, I wouldn't go to the traditional choice. Another one that has a Disney adaptation <gasps> that I think would be my first memory of it. Okay. And the you know, it's interesting because as I was saying King Arthur and non-traditional choice, I just thought of another one that I would I I have to mention. Go ahead. Because who doesn't think of Monty Python and the Holy Grail when they think of King Arthur? Cuz it's the funny choice. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Graham Chapman as King Arthur, and really all of his other Monty Python castmates get to play the bulk of the other characters in that film. He has a a couple of others in the film, but he mainly just portrays King Arthur. So he's kind of the straight man in the movie. But also another one that I really want to bring to your attention because it was a film that was hugely overlooked, but such an entertaining kids movie. It was called The Kid Who Would Be King. And again, this kid doesn't exactly play King Arthur, but he plays an Arthur of sorts. It's a take on the Arthurian legend. Right. And I think there might even be, he might even be like a distant relative of King Arthur in the movie, right? And he's portrayed by uh, Louis Ashbourne Circus. Now, that last name, spelled with an S, might sound familiar to you because he is actually the son of Andy Serkis. The mocap king of Hollywood. Right. 
This is a film that you've got to check out. It's a PG British film. Rebecca Ferguson is in it. She plays the villain. I was so disappointed when it didn't do better at the box office. So you've got to check it out now. You will enjoy it. Merlin is by name in that movie, though, right? There's a kid that plays yes, him. and then there is an actual Verlin, old, or Merlin. Old Merlin. There's a TV show called Merlin that I think has my favorite version of, of Arthur's story that was on sci-fi channel back in the early 2000s or so that focuses more on Merlin, as they titled it, rather than Merlin being the side sage of a young Arthur. It kind of tells the story of a younger Merlin and how he came to be the greatest wizard of all. Oh my goodness. Well, that's one that I've yet to check out. But it's a sort of, it's a miniseries, I think, more than yeah. a television show, but very enjoyable. Favorite Batman, Cole? Oh, yeah. So now we get into some uh, – so we were focusing on like characters that have hundreds of interpretations. Sure. But now let's get a couple that are very, very well known for six or seven different characters, right? My Batman will always be the one on television again but but in a couple movies and that's the voice of Kevin Conroy. Well, I thought you were going to say Adam West because that description <laughs> certainly could have applied to him too. Another character that has comedic takes and very serious takes in their repertoire of IMDb <laughs> listings but, but Kevin Conroy mainly known for Batman the Animated Series, also Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, a couple animated movies as well, Mask of the Phantasm, he voiced. I think the best the best cinematic look at Bruce Wayne, right? Uh, Dark Knight is still my favorite Batman movie. Don't get me wrong. But that's that's more lifted by the heavy work of the Joker and how cool Heath Ledger is. Mm. The best look at who Bruce Wayne is and why he's Batman and, and his character is done by Kevin Conroy's voice that he lends to Mask of the Phantasm. He is fantastic. And that was a show that I loved when it was out. I am a huge Christian Bale fan. I think this role was was meant for him, or at least Christopher Nolan's version of Batman was certainly meant for Christian Bale. And he delivers. He delivers. It's weird. I, I do uh, – I love American Psycho, right? And that's that kind of is another Christian Bale role where he kind of gets to be a rich kind of jerk, kind of a, a playboy as it were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My, my complaint about him as Batman is he doesn't – I don't think he really does get Bruce Wayne as well as maybe Michael Keaton did. Hmm. Um, But he's the best Batman for sure. When he growls his little Batman voice out of there, that's Batman. All right. And before we move on to some of the actual characters that people that have actually existed, we do want to mention one more fictional character that has had multiple, multiple actors step into this role. And we're about uh, to get another one. Right. We don't know who. It could be an African-American, which people are really pushing for. A lot of people are pushing for a female, which the producers of of this franchise have said not going to happen. Idris Elba is a little too old, I think, to be playing Bond. James Bond. You know, this one is unique, Cole, in that I actually kind of like all of them. Ooh. Yeah, I do. Pick a favorite. Pick a favorite? Oh, goodness. I mean... I would probably if you put me in a corner. I am. Uh, I would probably have to choose Sean Connery because one of the best James Bond movies in my eyes is Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. It has probably the best theme song, Goldfinger, Goldfinger. from the best composer of any of the James Bond movies, um, and uh, John Barry. By the way. 
is the composer on that. Mm-hmm. Has a great villain in Goldfinger. Has the best henchman of any of the James Bond movies. And just a really cool film. But anyway, I just like all of the different takes we get with this role. All of the Roger Moore movies are really bizarre and weird. Um, Daniel Craig really made the made the franchise serious and action packed and relevant, and gave us really some of the most exciting and thrilling sequences in any of the films. Right, Cole? But uh, yeah, I just I like I like a little bit of everything that's been brought to the table. What about you? I'm a Lazenby man myself. You only got really? the one because it was weird that he wasn't Sean Connery, and then they went right back to Sean Connery, and people at the time just didn't appreciate what they had in On Her Majesty's Secret Service when George Lazenby took over the mantle of James Bond. It's my favorite Bond movie. He's my favorite Bond, followed by Connery, of course, and then Pierce Brosnan, the Bond of my youth, with Goldeneye. Goldeneye is a third great or fourth one. favorite James Bond movie. Goldeneye is the only good Pierce Brosnan James Bond movie, but it it's is so true. good that it you forget that all the other ones were not very good. Poor Brosnan, like he really does seem like on paper he should have been a great Bond. He has other movies where he seems like he's playing a great Bond, but none of his actual James Bond movies showed that off. Yeah. Um you know, it's interesting that you mentioned George Lazenby because the story of how he got that role is so fascinating. He was basically just a model, and he essentially just waltzed into their office with zero experience, but like 100% confidence, and just said, I'm your next James Bond. And yep. <laughs> uh, I think one of, the, one of the wives of one of the casting people said, uh, you got to choose him as, as James Bond because <laughs> he's, a, he's a, a handsome fella. guy, yeah. right? And they they gave him a contract for like seven James Bond movies, Cole. Unfortunately, he had this guy around him. I don't know if it was his manager or just somebody like a friend try to convince him that you don't want to be stuck in that role for seven more films. So he walked away after one movie. And he I think he admits that that was a bit of a mistake. In retrospect, he wishes he would not have done that or he would not have listened to this person. Because he walked away from, oh, a huge franchise, Cole. Anyways, that's we'll only ever get to know him by On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Well, Cole, when we return, we talked about a lot of the fictional characters that have been portrayed for so many years on film and in TV. But now when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the historical figures, some of the actual people that have been portrayed and some of our favorite portrayals. That's coming up next here on Screen Cleaning. I've come to warn you that if you do not stop levying these evil taxes, I shall lead the good people of England in a revolt against you. And why should the people listen to you? Because, unlike some other Robin Hoods, I can speak with an English accent. What are they saying? What are they singing? Well, my four years of high school German and encyclopedic knowledge of the Beatles tell me that it's I Want to Hold Your Hand. Oh, okay. The wire, we're going to be talking about 
Hitler. So why? why <laughs> well, the would Beatles we... have been uh, portrayed in film as well, normally yes. by themselves. But yeah, now we want to talk about the famous actual people that were also portrayed often in film, uh, namely Hitler. And, and here for the recent film that you love, Jeffrey, and I still haven't seen, it's Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. Wait a minute, though. Did you really take four years of German? You bet. Wow. My goodness. If you would have asked me if I believed that, I would have said nine. Well, so that means Which no. Which is what I know in German. In German. Yeah. yeah. You've got maybe like one less phrase than I do after that <laughs> four years of hard work. All right. So, yeah, this is a film where it's it's kind of an unusual portrayal of Hitler in that you don't get a straight – version of Hitler, you get a 10-year-old boy's imaginary friend version of Hitler portrayed by Taika Waititi. This is a film that really on the surface sounds very offensive, and some people were offended. I tried to recommend this movie to my family, and and they it wasn't their cup of tea, let's just say. But it's also a very heartwarming film and a film about forgiveness and purging yourself of hate and just learning to love people and realizing that we're all the same, right? We're all human beings that deserve to be treated with dignity. Weird that that came out of a, a Hitler movie. Right. But beautiful also. Right. It, it's interesting, uh, you know, as we talked about with all of the fictional characters, sometimes even real life characters aren't played totally straight. Often you get one biopic of someone and that's their one portrayal in film. But for the more famous ones, we get a little bit more variety and more creative license with even the the real folks, right? Lincoln is known because Daniel Day-Lewis was Lincoln. Then you also have like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter and <laughs> Abraham Lincoln in Bill and Ted and Abraham Lincoln. So, you know, even when when we take real characters that deserve a little bit of a serious subject matter seriously, uh, when they're so famous, sometimes they crop up in other ways as well. I seem to remember one of the reviews for Lincoln and Daniel Day-Lewis's performance as Lincoln in particular saying something to the effect of Daniel Day-Lewis is a better Lincoln than Lincoln was. <laughs> and I think you I think you said it. He really embodied who Abra- I mean who we all think the Abraham Lincoln was, right? By every report it seems pretty accurate. So it's no surprise that he won the Oscar, his third best actor Oscar, which no other male performer has ever done. Not even Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson's one one of his three Oscars was for best supporting actor. So no other feat or no other actor has matched that feat. What about Napoleon? Also I, creeps up in Bill and Ted. There, there's kind of a through line through this episode. Maybe we should just rename it Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted present. Uh, Bill and Ted go to screen people. cleaning. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, the actor Terry uh, Camilleri played Napoleon in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And really his subplot is my favorite subplot of the film as he is uh, kind of – he abandons Bill and Ted and goes and finds this water park and this ice cream parlor. And so he gets himself into mischief at all these places. He cuts in line at the water park <laughs> and uh, he eats this entire giant platter of ice cream, which is called a Ziggy Piggy. And when somebody tries to take his dish from him – he fights with them because there are still some melted ice cream bits in the platter. Very funny 
and uh, my favorite portrayal of Napoleon in the movies. It's interesting. Sometimes the more evil characters in real life, we need a little bit of levity when we portray them in film. And no other uh, real life evil character kind of reigns as supreme as, you know, we've had Satan on in film quite a few times. We've also had portrayals of God and, and Jesus Christ. And when you look at how that serious subject matter is sometimes taken and played with, again, we, we need when we're portraying the things with the most gravity to them, sometimes we need a little bit of a break. And that's where the laughs, the yucks can come in. Sure. Yeah. And actually, we have a recent episode that was dedicated to the afterlife in film. And you can look that up by going by going to BYU Radio and looking up screen cleaning. Look at our podcast history. It's portrayals of death in the afterlife where we get into where God creeps up and, and where we see you know characters dealing with these biggest issues that there are, life and death. Well, Cole, I've very much enjoyed talking about the most portrayed characters on TV and in film. And there's one more example that we want to give you when we come back to do a little panning for good here on Screen Cleaning. Who are you? I'm the one. Huh? Creator of the heavens and the earth. Alpha and Omega. Oh, I see where this is going. Bruce? I'm God. Bingo! Yahtzee! Is that your final answer? Our survey says God! Bing, 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 bing. Well, it was nice to meet you, God. Thank you for the Grand Canyon, and good luck with the apocalypse. There's good in them dire hills. Oh, panning for good. I enjoy looking for these little extra nuggets. And speaking of panning for good or panning for gold, you're going to see some of that in the film Call of the Wild, a film that we reviewed earlier on in the program. It's out this weekend. Go see it just for Harrison Ford alone. And uh, just just know that uh, some of your younger viewers are going to they're going to be a little scared at times because there there are some moments of dog fighting and humans fighting. And at one point, my daughter leaned over to me and asked me, Dad, can you tell me when this part is over? And she covered her eyes. It's CGI dogs, though, doing the fighting, right? CGI's, no animals have been harmed in the making correct, of all the wild. Correct. Um, and I would never say that I want actual dogs to fight, but I wish there would have been actual dogs in the film. There are there are filmmaking tricks. We could have we could have had something happen. Sure. I'd like to get different portrayals of the prospector sometime. We've been talking about the characters in film that have been portrayed the most times or uh, by different characters and different actors. Listen to that prospector. We could let, let's get like a different kind of laugh sometimes. Yeah. You know who I love as a prospector? You got to go again onto Netflix and look up the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yep. And Tom Waits in one of the better vignettes in this movie. It's a it's an anthology. Tom Waits is a prospector who's just panning for gold, and he has they give the Coen brothers who wrote and directed this film give him some great dialogue, and it's one of the more memorable vignettes, as I mentioned. I second that movie, but. What we really want to talk about here is one other character that has been portrayed by many different actors. Most recently, the one that comes to mind for me is Kenneth Branagh in Murder on the Orient Express. And later this year in Death on the Nile. So we, of course, are talking Hercule 
Poirot, right? Ooh, good pronunciation. I've heard many different pronunciations Do you have of some, that. Some Belgian in your background? No, that's just the pronunciation I choose to go with. Okay. But another actor that people probably think of when they think of Poirot is David Suchet, who played him on Masterpiece Theater, right? Agatha Christie's Poirot, yeah. Albert Finney has portrayed him. So the one that you probably don't think of when you think of Poirot is actually, again, not a straight portrayal of Poirot, but this is the movie that uh, we're highlighting in our Panning for Good segment. Murder by Death is a parody of all of those Agatha Christie uh, masterpiece theater PBS detectives, right? And one of the t- one of the detectives that you get uh, a spoof of is Hercule Poirot, and he is portrayed in this film not as Poirot, um, but he is portrayed by the actor James Coco, and he has just a wonderfully uh, ridiculous and silly mustache in this film. The premise of this film is. Kind of similar to Clue in that you have this mysterious host that is uh, gathering all of these people into this mansion for a dinner party of sorts, right? Although this one, there is a murder that occurs and the host is giving the guests, these famous detectives, through the end of the night to solve the crime or he is going to discredit all of them, and so all of their book sales and all of their fame and notoriety are going to go out the window. So they're very motivated to try to solve this crime. It's written by Neil Simon, so <laughs> it's not to be taken seriously in the least. And it's got some great actors in it, people that you are familiar with. If you're not familiar with James Coco, there's Alec Guinness, who played Obi-Wan Kenobi. He plays the blind butler in this. There is Peter Falk, who was the grandfather in The Princess Bride. Also, Columbo, another detective. Another detective. That's what I know him for. Dame Maggie Smith is in this film. It's one that you've got to check out. It's it's a great pairing with Clue and certainly one that offers one of my favorite portrayals of the Hercule Poirot characters. Not only has have we gotten many different portrayals of that character, we've gotten different versions of the mustache as well. Whenever you, whenever Agatha Christie wrote that Hercule Poirot has an immaculate mustache, uh, everyone that takes it on in live action gets to interpret that differently. I actually liked Kenneth Branagh's portrayal of the mustache. I mean, it's very ridiculous, <laughs> and I don't actually like it, but it is fun. <laughs> Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. We've had a wonderful time looking back at some of the most portrayed characters in TV and film. And uh, we look forward to coming back next week to give you the very best in film, or the very best in entertainment, that is. You can find us here on BYU Radio every Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. You can download our podcast. And just look up our archive on byuradio.org. Until next time, I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissing. And this is Screen Cleaning.